Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Ravi Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 116 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is truly a multinational poker personality. Uh, she's Canadian. She was raised in Poland, and now she often finds herself presenting and playing poker in the United States. With a notorious history of doing the right thing, she's taken the poker world by storm in recent years and has been at the forefront of some of the game's biggest stories. But who is this woman? We're talking, of course, about Veronica Brill, and it's time to get to know her a little bit better. Veronica, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. That was quite the introduction. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> I sound you know. way less boring than I actually am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see. We got we got an hour to find out just how boring you are or are not. Um, but I'm just I, I, I we're talking a little bit before we sort of started the show, and uh, I was just you know being very open. Like we really never had a chance to talk that much. You know, we've met one time uh, back at the WPT uh, Championship in December. Uh, but just a little yeah. bit social media stuff. But that's why I'm grateful for these, uh, you know, opportunity, these, you know, like a good hour to to really get to know each other a little bit better. You having a good day so far? I mean, it's early for me. How about you? What time uh, is it, it for you? It is late. It is 10, 10 p.m. here in Israel. Uh, and I learned that you're not uh, talking to me from Vegas. You're living in the Bay Area. Yes, I've and lived in the Bay Area for the past five years. And before that, it was Sacramento. Everyone go. thinks I live in Vegas for some crazy reason because I'm there every weekend. I don't know. <laughs> it's, is it really that often? How often are you there? No. I mean, it depends. When I was doing Poker After Dark, I was there a lot. Right. Uh, like for a week at a time, like basically living in the Aria. Sure. Um, but nowadays it seems to be more LA because I've been um, doing the Nick Vertucci podcast. Sure. So, uh, and... You know, and then Cleveland. I'm in Cleveland a lot, so yeah. um, I I tend to spend my weekends outside of uh, the city of San Jose where I live. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we'll try to cover each of those uh, little niches. I mean, believe it or not, actually, I get that once in a while. I've, I go to Vegas three or four times a year, which is, you know, I guess a lot considering where I live. But people are like, oh, you don't live here? Like, I, I get that as well. But I guess that's where I'm seen three or four there. times a year. That, those are Small numbers. Come on, try that in a month. I've done that in a month before. It's a long flight. From, oh, from oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you got to get closer. That's the problem. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. All right. Well, uh, we do have to kind of start. Let's sort of, I'd say, get this out of the way. But at the end of the day, you know, you will for you know, a very long time be associated with, we'll call it the elephant in the room. Uh, and this particular elephant is wearing a questionable baseball cap and keeps looking at his trunk. Uh, of course, we're talking about uh, Mike Postle. Um, Just go back sort of to the beginning of the investigation. You were the whistleblower, but I don't want to, I, I want, you know, if possible, you know, we, you know, this has been sort of threshed and we're not going to beat a dead horse or anything. We'll try to ask a couple of things that perhaps you haven't spoken about too much, uh, you know, now that we're, you know, somewhat removed, even though it's technically still ongoing for you. Um, at the time when you decided to go public with it, how daunting was it for you? Um, or were you sort of, you know, emboldened and encouraged by saying, you know what, I'm doing the right thing. I'm seeking justice here. People will support my cause. Or was there just genuine fear that you were experiencing by going public about it? 
It was both. Um, because in poker, we all know our reputation is everything. And there was a possibility that I could be ruining a man's reputation and potentially ruining a, a fun live stream because I misunderstood the situation and mm-hmm. I didn't get the right uh, information I needed to go public with. Right. That was a big fear of mine. But the very last time I did commentary at Stone's, I felt when I left, I felt like I was 90% sure that the floor or the person running Stone's Live Poker was incompetent and unable to see what was in front of him. In hindsight, now I know why he appeared this way and he was gaslighting me because he was helping Mike Possel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, those first few weeks of the investigation, obviously very um, action-packed, uh, for lack of a better word or description. I, yeah, I would yeah. say the first three days for me, I mean, I was like in tears. I was mm. like, you know, on the phone with Matt Berkey. I was like sure. on the phone with, you know, who ended up being my lawyer, started out like giving me some advice, some, you know, pro bono advice as sure. a lawyer, like, hey, this this could be really bad. Like, you may need to put out a statement right. if, if it's found out that he's not cheating. Like, I can help you with that. Um, I... I mean, I was reaching out to people. I was crying and uh, that most people were not in agreement with me in the way that I did it. But I didn't think that there was a better way because I had already gone to Stone's management. I had already, you know, sent pros videos and um, I just felt like no one was listening to me and and nothing was... I. No one respected my opinion about the matter, mm-hmm. and I really thought that we needed more eyes on it, and we needed more professional eyes. And then Joey on Monday morning, so I posted on Saturday, and Saturday was like 10 a.m. I remember this because I went to the gym and put my phone down because I was like, I don't want to look at my phone while I'm at the gym because right. I'll end up deleting everything. And then Joey texts me Monday morning because I had been in contact with him that weekend, and he's like, yeah, something's something's not right here. I think I found something. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about getting more eyeballs on it, you know, like, uh, <laughs> can it possibly be any more eyeballs that were on it? I'm kind of wondering from your standpoint, I mean, that you just, you know, uh, look at a regular life for all intents and purposes before this happened, you're doing your job, you're in the poker community and doing commentary and, you know, involved just a regular thing. And then all of a sudden, not just the poker worlds, but like it goes beyond like mainstream on ESPN, the wiser on you again, like what are sort of your feelings at that point in time of like, did I, I don't know, bite off more than I can chew or, okay, this is real. And, you know, again, further sort of encouraged by these are positive developments. What's it feel like to be in Veronica Brill's shoes? So I think that I'm not trying to sound like I'm above anyone else by any means, but I think that a lot of people are self-serving in a way. Like I had many people tell me like, if you think he's cheating, just don't go back. Just like leave it alone and stop going there. Stop doing commentary. But the way I am is that I can't function in a world where I know something bad is happening and I can do something about it. And I don't, and I just don't want to live in that world. I don't, I want things to be right. So in my mind, when I'm driving home after that very last uh, commentary Mm -hmm. stunt, stint, 
gig. What are you <laughs> in my mind? I'm thinking like, I need to do something about this. If I think that there is like, I don't know, like I, I defined it like over greater than 50, per, uh, greater than 80% confidence. If I have greater than 80% confidence that there is cheating, I can't go to sleep and be okay with just like not, not going back or not doing anything about it. Like right. I need to do something about it. Right. And so I did. And that's what I thought. I, I thought there was a greater good to this. Mm -hmm. So I thought like my feelings about the whole thing or the reactions that I received was a smaller issue than like the potential for cheating going on right. and him like stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from the poker community. Right. So like I just bit the bullet and I was like, well, I'm just going to have to take all of, all of the um, reaction I'm going to get. Although when I first did it, when I first went public, I was delusional. I thought that people were going to be like, oh, dear Veronica, how interesting. Oh, you don't say there's cheating potentially. Okay, well, let's objectively look at these hands, shall we? Mm -hmm. All of us, like really good investigators, and be objective. Like, I honestly thought people were just going to be like, oh, this is quite interesting. Let's take a look. But I didn't realize that people are so fucking tribal. Mm. And they decided to take a side, and some people just dug their heels in and took right. a side. And it really turned into people trying to sift through the data and look at it and really, really see if he is cheating. And then there was people that were just like uh, doing ad hominem attacks, yeah. you know, like just angry that, you know, the biggest thing was like, why didn't you talk to him about it? I'm like, what, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? Like, Oh, you caught me. Oh, you caught me. Good job. Like now I'm going to stop cheating. Like mm -hmm. what, in what world would he admit anything to me? Right. In what world would I be able to prove anything by like, hey, Mike, can we talk outside? Like, I think you're cheating. Like, still to this day, he denies it. Mm -hmm. So in what world would that do anything? Right. I think I did the only thing I could do, given that the tournament director was helping him, given that Stones was like, the only thing Stones wants to do is stay open to make more money. Stones would not be like, oh, yeah, there was clear cheating by one of our employees and we could potentially get shut down. So I did the only thing that I could do. And luckily at that point, I had like 5,000 followers on Twitter who were like 99% poker players. Mm -hmm. I could get some eyes on it. I had right. Joey Ingram in my pocket. He was following me on social media so I could DM him. And I was like, hey, I think there's cheating. Can you take a look at it? If I post it, he's like, if you post it publicly, I'll take a look at it. So mm -hmm. I did the only thing I could do. I don't think there was another thing I could have done. Right. I talked to pros. They told me, probably nothing. I talked to the tournament director. He gaslit me and told me I didn't know what I was talking about. And I didn't know what else to do. Right. So I did promise it wouldn't be uh, that major, again, not, not beating the dead horse, but again, it's important to address those. I just sort of have one more question uh, about that. And again, like this has been talked about a lot. And I do hope that to some degree, continuing to talk about it a little bit is helpful to you. Um, what I would sort I'm writing of ask, a book about it. Pardon? I'm writing a book about it. Well, there you go. There's okay. a lot of stuff that didn't get published. There's a lot of details that didn't get published. Like at least one of the people that helped him is still working at Stones. I think two of them are. Mm -hmm. 
And one of them I think knew, but wasn't helping. And one of them was helping. Right. So, I mean, that kind of stuff didn't get talked about. Right. There's a lot of stuff that happened that people told me happened, but they didn't want to talk to a reporter because they're afraid. Sure. And as a member of the poker media or any media, I can also just say sometimes it's not easy to go public because there's a lot of relationships involved and that sort of a thing. I get it. I I genuinely get it. And that's sort of where my, I guess, last question related to this uh, comes from is that, you know, in this industry, in any industry, I suppose, sometimes some funny business goes on, you know, and sometimes there will be a person out there, whether it's a professional player, recreational player, or commentator or chip runner, whoever it may be, they might, they may find themselves unexpectedly in a situation where, you know, they know about something or they suspect something or, you know, they're, they're just in that unique position. As someone who's sort of been through it and really just, you know, from A to Z, like as as big as something like this could possibly get, what sort of words of advice would you have to a person, I guess, perhaps facing a dilemma like that and what the potential is they may be going through if they suspect cheating or some funny business going on? What, what type of words of encouragement or advice would you have for a person like that? I mean, this is a very the situation I was in was very unique. And I think all big cheating scandals are very unique, like case in point, Robbie and Garrett. And that situation not did not go. Not this Robbie, just pointing that out to our <laughs> listeners. Yeah, the other Robbie, I was here first. Yeah, go on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if there will be another world where you have a live stream where the person running the live stream is directly involved in the cheating. It may happen again, but I mean, I think the best thing to do always is go to the casino management Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who can nip it in the butt. Um, Going public also is tough because you could be ruining a reputation of someone who's not cheating. So I had of, like I said, it was unique because I had 18 months of data that I could look to. And it wasn't just each hand in a vacuum. Mm. That's the thing. I had 18 months of interaction with this man who didn't study, who was cognitively not able to talk me through a hand, mm. and yet was making more money than my friends who were playing high stakes and studying every day. Mm. And, and you can tell when you speak to a high, high level player, how they talk about poker is completely yeah. different than a one, three player. Yeah. And Mike Postle talked to me like some rec one, three player about poker and his hands. And it just didn't make sense. So there were a lot of external variables involved in why I thought what I did. And so if you're looking at one specific hand, it's just like this Garrett and Robbie thing. I looked through all of her data. I went through every single hand she played on those three games that she played on Hustler. And if she was cheating, there's just like so few data points uh-huh. that it's hard to say anything. And then like there's no external data for Garrett to pull from because she was like literally not in the poker community until like just right. recently. Right. So it's just hard to it's that one that one just wasn't enough data for him to prove anything. And then 
so I had 18 months of data. I had, I like, I don't know what advice to give because Mm. this is a very unique situation. It's a very tough situation. You can definitely like lose the respect of a lot of your uh, co-players because if you start accusing everyone of cheating, you won't get invited to games or you won't casinos. I don't know if they'll want you around, but it's just a bad, it sets a bad precedence to just accuse people of cheating. I would say, be very, very sure of what you're accusing someone of. And what I did initially was I went to a bunch of pros. I put together a video. And so if you're going, if you think someone's cheating and it's not on a live stream, I would put, I would start writing a journal of everything you're seeing and how the hands are playing out. You just need tremendous amounts of data to think someone's cheating in a hand, unless you catch them with a device or something. Right. Like, it's so easy to be dismissive of a hand in a vacuum because like you could play a hand so many different ways. And just because it doesn't fall under GTO doesn't mean that someone was cheating too. Right. So it's so fucking hard to prove it. Yep. yep. So it's an okay. uphill battle. I would just say, be very, very sure and have other people take a look at what you're seeing. Seems like uh, pretty wise words to me. I mean, I guess we'll sort of, ease ourselves out of it but you did mention robbie jade lou and you mentioned you know of course there's your own case and you said she wasn't part of the poker community you were but at the same time the names robbie jade lou veronica brill were not household names so to speak uh in the poker industry until these incidents happen your brand grew and grew uh your commentary became that much more appreciated, uh, you know, also your your skills as far as adding color to broadcast. You've presented poker after dark since then. What if the last, you know, aside from all the puzzle stuff, let's just push that to the side for if possible. What have the last three years been like of like, okay, you're now much more known commodity and again, you know, in the community, you know, you walk into a poker room, everyone knows who Veronica Brill is now. What's that like as opposed to the poker life prior to that? I don't know. I don't feel like I'm different. My friends don't care that I hosted poker after dark. <laughs> um, I, I like poker such a small com- community compared to like the grand scheme of things. Like, sure. I, I went to the hustler meetup game and like a lot of people asked to take their picture with me and stuff. And it's cool, but it's like 10 guys in a poker room, you know, it, no one knows me when I go to LA. No one knows me when I walk through an airport. I don't think I'm like right. anything. Um, I think Daniel Negreanu cool also thing, told me there's a difference between famous and poker famous. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is. I don't even think I'm poker famous. I just think I'm <laughs> poker known because I, <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm just kind of like a sideline. I'm not like a, I'm not a full-time poker player. So um, yeah, it's a different world. I, I was given a tremendous opportunity with Poker After Dark. I had my own YouTube channel and they saw a few clips of it and they asked me to audition. And that just was like, to me, I think of life as a series of, of like stops on the journey. Like there are things that I could do along my journey. And then I can look back and say, look at all the cool experiences I had. And Poker After Dark was one of those like really cool, cool once in a lifetime opportunities. And I was a fan of the show before I even hosted it. So it was just so cool. So I did, I think two or three seasons. I can't remember. They haven't released a lot of the last 
episodes I did because GG Poker bought it during that time. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, I guess you own it now. So it's your choice to release it or not. And they haven't. Uh-huh. But it was a total of three seasons, I believe. And it was just a tremendous opportunity. It was just so cool. I can just tell like, you know, when I'm 90, I can tell young kids like back in my day, I was on an NBC show, you know, <laughs> and then I was able to parlay that into yeah. uh, signing a contract with Cleveland and then uh, doing the Nick Vertucci show. And, you know, I'm writing this book now. It's just been really cool. I just try to look at everything as like a really cool opportunity and I ride the wave when I can. I know I'm in like my mid forties, so I'm not always going to be this like hot blonde in poker. So I'll just, I'll take it now while I can. (laughs) That's fair. You got to capitalize and strike while the iron is hot. That's for sure. What would you say um, have been the highlights of your time commentating on and hosting Poker After Dark? Oh my gosh. Poker After Dark was just amazing. I just, every time I was on set, I was like in awe. I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I would say one of the funniest things, like so much stuff happens that doesn't make the cut. Of course. Like Daniel Negrano, <laughs> I'm sorry guys, if I'm, if you guys think I'm misrepresenting it, but like I was sitting backstage and Daniel Negrano yelled at Phil Helmuth for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> And they, they do were get just along, like but yes, <laughs> going at it, and they were it was hilarious. And I know that it's in good fun, yeah. But they didn't put in like a whole hour of Daniel yelling at Phil. They, I think, they put in like snips here and there, but it was a, a good, a good argument. It was really good, and and I just I got to interview like Steve Aoki and. Mm-hmm. um you know, there were some celebrities there. Perkins was there. Um, and then I got to, I got to interview like all of the high stakes crushers that you see on, you know, in all these high stakes cash games. So it was like Scott Seaver, you know, it was just really freaking cool. That's all I can say. It was just cool. And then just the whole poker go institution is, one thing I love about them is they're a fucking train with no breaks. Mm. Like the whole poker community is just drama and controversy and all kinds of stuff. And poker go just has blinders on and they're like poker content, poker content. That's all we're going to do. And we're not stopping. Nothing stops them. They don't care about what's going on. They don't care about like who's doing what in poker. They're just, they just keep putting out great content, high quality content. There there are only like really good post-production poker content. So it's, I mean, I just love that about them. They just, nothing bothers them. They just keep going. So, uh, yeah, it it was just an amazing experience. I loved every moment of it. I'm, I'm eternally grateful to them. And yeah, they'll always get uh, coffee beans as, as presents from me. That's my that's my gift of love to people. I love it. I like it definitely. You don't need any further confirmation, but anyone and everyone I've ever dealt with Poker Go, whether it's the uh, talents that you see on the screen or the behind the scenes producers and production assistants, top to bottom, just absolute A plus people. I definitely agree Super, with you yeah. in that in that respect. Um, We did a little bit of digging, and prior to your foray into the poker world, you were a medical data analyst. Um, How does one go from medical data analysis to the poker world, and and what sort of skills, if any, are transferable from one to the other? So I'm actually a business intelligence developer. 
So it's uh, it's basically analytics. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, yeah, and it is in healthcare. Okay. Uh, well, it's because my undergrad's in nursing. So okay. I have not only I so my undergrad's from Canada, my nursing undergrad, and so I have a Canadian. Well, I I I took. I'm trying not to be very Canadian by saying I wrote. I took the Canadian RN exam and I've taken the American NCLEX RN exam and I uh-huh. have I am basically an RN in both Canada and America. I have a Nevada RN. Okay. And so I I piggybacked off of that and I hated nursing. <laughs> it got to me. It was it, I got burnt out on it. Okay. Uh I I Realize that after coming home crying after every shift, I was like, mm. I can't continue doing this. So I went into uh, more of a systems analyst role where like you're uh, building interfaces, you're working with software, optimizing. And then I transitioned recently um, to full-time analytics. Got it. Okay. Now, now it makes sense a little bit more. Okay. Um, and as far as the skills that are or are not transferable, I mean, like that's quite the journey you said, you know, like so, almost like revocational training. You're studying to be a nurse and now dealing with numbers. It's not exactly the same thing. And now doing poker commentary interviews, um, a lot of things, I guess, seem to to strike your fancy. What is it about poker that uh, got its grips into you and, and I guess, you know, takes you away from the other stuff? That- well, so when it's, that's an interesting question. When I was younger, uh, I, I was never like a nursing kind of minded person, I guess. Mm-hmm. My mom really pushed me to go into nursing because she was like, oh, Veronica, you girl, you go nursing. But um, it was not, it like, it never felt uh, intuitive to me to be there. I was very much interested with like, oh, what's the software we're using to, you know, to like, type in our medications. Like, mm-hmm. what is this software? What's the coding? I took a coding class in undergrad. I took a C++ class. Hate C++. <laughs> but I really loved more numbers, more technology, you know, like I, anything that has to do with technology, I'm just a huge fan of. So I was more, it's more intuitive to me. So oh. I moved in that direction. And I guess poker to me initially when I was still nursing was more like there's it's a more statistical kind of game it's probabilities Mm -hmm. i used to study a lot when i first started although the studying back then in the mid 2000s was like right (laughs) not so great which is why i'm a bad player right now (laughs) um and i there was a time where i was making money i was making like pretty good money i was um living in Edmonton, Alberta, and there was um, an oil field two hours north called Fort McMurray. And I'm telling you, those guys dropped out of like 10th grade and they would like go work labor in Fort McMurray and make like 250K a year. Mm -hmm. And they would drive down to the closest casino in Edmonton, like North Edmonton, which was a River Creek casino. And that was, I had a condo near there and I would like go and play at River Cree and I would literally like wait for good hands. I was very ABC. I wasn't mm-hmm. like doing superstar stuff and I would just get paid off. All of us would get paid off. All we had to do was just like play basic poker because they were just so bad and they were just dusting off all their roles. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the game changed and I didn't 
continue changing with the game. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, ended up getting married. I had a sick child who ended up passing away from cancer, unfortunately. But like I ended up using poker as a way to like get away from the stress of my life. And I it was a it was like too much out of line stuff. Yeah. And um it like poker changed what it was for me throughout my life. So Mm -hmm. initially it started out as like fueling this like analytical need. Mm -hmm. And then later on it ended up fueling my need to get away from like a really, really difficult situation in my life. And now it's starting to like come back. I've been like reading up on PLO and I just, but it's never going to be like a full-time thing for me. I think the, I think the general population of poker has gotten so much better uh-huh. and I'm so far behind the curve and I'm doing so well in my professional life that there's, I don't know what it would take for me to get to like a bare minimum of what I'm making now. I don't uh-huh. think I could ever make that with poker with my skill set currently. It would, I don't know how long it would take me to study to get there. And then I couldn't, I couldn't survive the downswings. Right. I have friends who play high stakes and their downswings. I'm just like, no. Not, I'm not, not I don't interested. want to jump off a bridge. I'm right. Good. right. So, so, I mean, I, I checked hand and mob and your first cash was 2011. So my question is prior to that, or I guess most of the time it's, it's cash games, I guess, that you're focusing on or was it yeah, online? I was playing cash games and sit and goes. Okay. So there was a time when sit and goes were huge. And I, I was like a sit and go freaking i know people are gonna be like there's no way you're terrible i was really good at sit and goes that was like how i learned we were we were running sit and goes at my casino in edmonton and then i remember going to the mgm the very first time i played in vegas i played sit and goes all weekend and i was killing it and all i literally did was wait for good hands and just shove all in get paid off do that twice and then i get like top three and i get paid and i just like rinse and repeat. And it, like, it was, it, it was just, I feel like poker was easier back then or I was stupider. I don't know. But like, <laughs> I, it, I, I have this like memory of it being like easy peasy. <laughs> so that's fair. So what, did I why, answer your question? <laughs> no, that's not that's fair. That's, I think that's a good enough answer. <laughs> like if, it, uh, if you had dabbled online, perhaps also was, uh, was part I of didn't the dabble online. Okay. I mean, I dabbled, but I didn't dabble successfully. Like, okay, yeah, I was big, big loser, number one big loser online. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so many folks, at least you know, folks that are that are known, they became known because of tournament success. It's much harder, generally speaking, or maybe a little bit easier nowadays with vlogs and stuff. But much harder to become known uh, for playing cash games. Why is it that you stuck to cash games primarily as opposed to getting more deeper into tournaments? tournaments you're just dusting your role like no one can Mm. afford to play tournaments for a living i'm i mean like what percentage of your tournaments are you are you cashing in like i remember talking class hopefully 20 percent. if you're absolutely world class oh they're they're fucking selling action too like i don't (laughs) don't think they're getting most of that uh i remember talking to bart hansen and i think uh I think it was when he won his last bracelet and I was like, damn, you did so well. I interviewed him at stones for this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that I was like still stuck for the year. Like wow. he won a bracelet. He won like 300 something thousand dollars. And I'm just like, I can't live that life. I don't want that life. Hmm. I, it's not for me. It's it's I can't, 
I don't, tournaments are just a way to dust off money unless you're like top, top elite. I'm telling you, I don't have this. I don't have the time to be studying like that. Right. I don't have the time to, for, to be like pads and like run solvers all day and then like crush tournaments and yeah, sure. it's, it's not for me. Well, again, obviously you're not a, a professional player, not someone who I don't think wants to be one based on everything you said. Although, um, although running deep in a tournament is like one of the greatest of feelings ever. Of course. Not that I would know, but yes, I, I do. <laughs> I've heard. Yes. I got 13th in the ladies event uh, in 2019. And, and, um, I was chip leader for like three days and like, I, Lexi, I don't want to punch you when I see you, but it's rough. It's tough. She, she knocked me out and she came in short and I doubled her up twice. Cause she, like she just kept shoving and I had a better hand and she just kept banking. So it's okay, Lexi. Like, I don't still think about that moment. <laughs> at all. At all. Lex, uh, Lexi Gavin Mather, I believe, is the, uh, is yeah, the, yeah. Is the reference Shout for those out to who Lexi. don't know. She's, she just got married, too. That's so. right. That's right. Well, maybe we'll have her on uh, as a future guest here on the Cards Chat podcast. Yeah, uh, find out why. I want revenge. No, I'm just <laughs> well, there you I go. took out Vanessa Cade, right? Uh, I took out Vanessa Cade in, like, 14th and then i got 13th so right brutal. okay there you go well, definitely a tough field um so i was going to ask though like the, the reason i brought it up though like uh you know professional players you know we always ask so and sure that's what you do for a living but it's always hard to sort of figure out that that optimal work-life balance you have sort of you're coming at it from a different angle what role does poker play in your life and, and how much poker you know, do you optimally want to be part of your regular day-to-day, week-to-week life? That's a great question. I have no idea. I'm in this <laughs> limbo now where I don't play poker so much mm-hmm. and I don't have like this. Um, it's just not like it was like it was when I was younger. And I really am loving my job, like my regular job. I really do love it and it but it does take a lot of my bandwidth and right. I'm kind of in a content place mm-hmm. right now in my life so I just don't have this like I went and played the other night like on Friday night but I just don't have this like tremendous urge to be playing all the time. I almost feel like I'm fitting in now in like more of the media stuff where it's mm-hmm. more like Twitter and like shit posting and I like I don't think of poker as being just this community of players. It's a community of like media. It's a community of like um vloggers and you know contributors and content makers. Like there's just so much more to it. There's people who like own live streams. There's people who you know write about it. I mean there's just like there's so much more than just playing. So I always think I'll be a part of poker. It's just not always going to be me just playing poker. Fair, totally fair. Um, if you don't mind me asking, like work-wise, you sort of have like uh is it a you know nine to five type of thing where you have full freedom to work whatever hours you'd like? Because that leads I mean, into my, my next job's question. like yeah, my job's like, well, I mean, if you could start before 10 a.m., that would be great. But uh yeah, so it's like an, a regular nine to nine okay. to six. Okay. Get that so, hour long lunch. That's fair. Yeah. Well, so the reason I ask about it is because all of that stuff that you said, you know, while it's true, um, notwithstanding that, you know, this summer, you know, the the World Series is back, and that's obviously the prime time, the mecca for 
players, media, industry, when everything seems to be going on, like it's happening during that summer, are you able to carve out or do you want to even carve out any length of time to go play a couple of events, do some networking, see what other, you know, non-regular job types of opportunities might be waiting for you? Is that something you're looking forward to? Uh, So I went this past year for a month. I rented a room off of uh, my friend, Wendy Wiseman. Shout out to Wendy. She's got a nice place out in Vegas. Um, And it was like kind of exhausting. And like the first two weeks I played in the King's Lounge. I was playing 510 in the King's Lounge like almost every day. And it was great. So great. And then the Euros came in. Shout out to the Euros, you know, shout out to the tanking Euros. And I'm a Euro. You know, but I'm an American Euro. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But the Euros came in, man. I'm telling you, that game that game went downhill. Oh man! <laughs> so uh, only play five ten at the Kings Lounge for the first two, maybe three weeks at the World Series of Poker, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I went this past year, and it was like it was good, but it was like it was a little too much. Mm. I think it's I have to always go for the ladies' event. That's my favorite event of the year. I'll probably go for the tag team. Um, I was thinking of um, playing the main event this year. I actually have never played the main event. I always go for side events because I'm like, oh, you get more opportunities if you play like 10 or seven side events than if like one main event. But, you know, I want a little bit of magic. I want to play the main event. It's a magical event. Cool. Nice. Uh, Why is uh, the ladies event so special to you? Besides, obviously, oh having god. run deep in it. Oh my god! Look, I'll tell you. Any regular tournament I go into, no one bakes cookies and says, "Hey, I baked cookies for the table." No one gives out flowers. Okay. No one's like, "Oh, guys, I made earrings. We all have matching earrings. Everyone here's an earring for all of you. We don't all hug each other on other tournaments." We don't become besties. We don't exchange phone numbers and take pictures together. All the other tournaments are just like boring, quiet, tanking men. But the ladies event, you get cookies, you get macaroons, you get flowers. Everyone's <laughs> hugging. Everyone's having fun. We're laughing. We're drinking mimosas together. Like, come on. Ladies event, guys, I swear, if you even remotely identify as a woman, put on a Sean Deeb outfit and get to the ladies event and have fun because that's what we do. And I mean, people get dressed up. Like it's just so fun. It's the best event. Nice. And I, I did mention uh, you and I did meet in person at the ladies mug, uh, actually at the win, uh, yeah. during this past oh, winter. God, and they had a ladies event too. That was one of the best tournament series I've ever gone to. I think that's been my favorite so far in my life. Like I had so much fun at that WPT and they had so many ladies events and they just rolled out the red carpet for all of us. Like, oh my gosh, I, I, I just, I, for sure, I'm not missing the December WPT ever again or ever. Awesome. Cause there's no again, but yeah. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. All right. Uh, we mentioned uh, sort of at the top of the show as well. You're in the Bay area, but you're in Las Vegas, if not every weekend, uh, then relatively often. What are your favorite and least favorite things about Las Vegas? Uh, the smoke for sure is like least favorite. So 
I'll be honest with you. The least favorite thing is I get out of line when I'm in Vegas. So when I'm at home, I'm like working out, I'm running, I'm reading, I'm studying, I'm doing, uh, studying for my job. I'm, you know, like a more like optimal life. And when I get out to Vegas, I, it's like some freaking switch turns on and I'm out of line. Oh, alcohol. Yeah. Let's just consume all of that. Oh, let's go to a club. Let's go to the strippers. Let's go to the most expensive restaurant and dust off everything we have. It is, it is so frustrating that I get so out of line in Vegas and then I'm exhausted when I get back. And like, I barely drink when I'm, uh, at home, like maybe one or two glasses of wine a month now, now that I'm older, (laughs) But when I'm in Vegas, it's like wild. Everyone's sending me drinks. Everyone's like going out and uh, it's just, I get caught up in it. And I, that's what one thing I don't like. The thing I love about Vegas is the poker community is so strong in Vegas. And I just don't have that out here. Like Mm -hmm. I know the poker players out here and we hang out once in a while, but it's just not, it's not the same. Like no one's doing meetup games in the Bay area. Like Mm -hmm. no one. No one like texts me and says like, "Hey, we're run- we're you know starting up a fun two five game. You want to come and like play and hang out?" Like no one does that. Like all my friends play high stakes, and they like are super serious. And it's it, there's it's just not the same kind of fun, which then turns into out of line, right? <laughs> out right. of line behavior. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, that's the the uniquely Vegas character. I'm sure uh, all the folks listening and my, myself included as well. We all have the the Vegas side of us, so to speak. Um, but I've never heard of uh, the Cleveland side of anyone. How did that association first come about? And you know, to what extent do you or do you not get out of line when you visit the Jack? Oh, I get I get so out of line at Jack. <laughs> you know, uh, so Chris. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who Chris Luce is, but he is the, he was the tar- the poker room manager at Jack Casino in Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. where Chris started was working under Sean McCormick at Aria. Yep. Sean McCormick now runs all of MGM poker. Yep. So uh, Sean was one of the best in the business, if not the best. Um, and Chris basically learned everything he knew from Sean and Chris. When I met Chris, uh, one of the like, uh, professional poker players in Cleveland, him and I were following each other on Twitter and he reached out to me and he's like, Hey, uh, our poker room manager, like wanted to reach out to you to see about like coming out here and doing a grand opening of the room. And at the time I was doing the grand opening of live the bike, I was doing stuff for Hustler. I was doing Poker After Dark. So they were like, hey, can maybe we could bring Veronica in for that. And when I met Chris, I'm actually writing an article for Poker News about like visionaries in poker. Hmm. And I think Chris is one of those people that like, he gets poker. He gets what poker players want. He gets how poker is changing and how we can't be like, well, we did it like this before. We're always going to do it like this. He gets how a poker room needs to be poker focused or poker player focused rather than like management bottom line focused. And so when I saw that in him, like just from the moment I met him and just hearing him talk and talk about the room and talk about the players, I was like, wow, this guy gets it. And he's, uh, he was very, 
thoughtful of having women in the room and, and like how to make the room more inviting to women. And I know he was trying to do everything in his power to like bring more women's tournaments and, and tournaments in general and more like fun tournament games, bomb pot games. And so I thought he was like, honestly, I think he's a visionary in poker. And I, I, he just recently left that poker room and I hope that he finds a poker room that sees his vision um, and and he can go and like, it, and I, I don't know if Jack like really saw his vision or like the management who, who are non-poker players understood it the way he does. Right. And so, yeah, so I got caught up in Cleveland, caught up. That's a bad word. I, <laughs> I think like I enjoyed going to Cleveland and I, it, you know, it's like five degrees of separation from Poker After Dark because uh, Sean McCormick works for Aria, which like hosts Poker Go and Poker After Dark. So yeah. right. Well, there there is an old joke. Uh, what was there to do in Cleveland before they built the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> I don't know what. Wait for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to be built, <laughs> um, but but all all kidding aside, uh, for those of us, including I love myself, Cleveland, by the way. Exactly. I love. It's a great. Ninety-seven percent of our to- listeners are from Cleveland. Um, actually, <laughs> I kid. I kid. Uh, but I, I've never been. Uh, and all kidding aside, I got a lot of good friends from Cleveland. Actually, here in Israel, uh, they moved here. Um, but all kidding aside, like, what is the Cleveland poker community like? And you know, when you do go there, sort of, what do you see, sort of, as your role and that you bring to the table to help, you know, boost the profile of the Jack uh, in the Cleveland poker community? I'll just tell you, I have no idea why they hired me. <laughs> they, uh, no, I was there to like, obviously promote, uh-huh. uh, the room. And like, I put out a bunch of vlogs and, um, I, I would speak with Chris and like, we would talk about what kind of promotions he wanted. And, um, yeah, so it, they kind of like trusted me with everything. Mm-hmm. They, they were like, okay, you can record as much as you want in the casino. You can put together your own videos. Like a lot of the money they they used to pay me, I used to pay my video producer to create videos to promote them. Cause I'm like, look, if you're gonna pay me to come to Cleveland, I'm not gonna just like pocket the money, play nitty one three for right. you, and then just leave and just be like, fuck you, Cleveland. Right. I was like, I'm gonna put together vlogs, I'm gonna record, like, I'm gonna interview local players they've got a lot of they've got three local poker celebrities that have world series of poker bracelets and those people need to be promoted there's like a lot of good poker in cleveland can we get some shout outs what are their names yeah so uh my girlfriend katie she won the katie cop she won the first bracelet event of the 2022 world series of poker right. which is the casino employees event right i remember right. then they have a guy who won the 10k plo sean God, he's gonna hate me if i, I forgot remember. his name okay sean you can look it up you're you're in the media i am yes i'll try to look and it then, up Keep uh, going. yeah i think they. i can't remember who the third person is or they're like or i think it's i know katie's sean brother Trova. is also very successful yeah so they've got like a strong history of poker mm-hmm. and they, I mean, like I'm in the Bay area with the historic Bay one Oh one casino and mm-hmm. there's no freaking PLO. Mm-hmm. 
But you go to Cleveland, Ohio, there'll be like three PLO tables at once. Nice. And there'll be like double board bomb pot tables. Like there's just like, it's just so fun in Cleveland. And Chris was doing everything he could to try to make that room to be a, uh, like a haven in Ohio for people to go to. Um, unfortunately, they did, the management recently did not share his vision, so he quit. That's fair. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like Cleveland kind of reminds me of like, I'm going to date myself, uh, but Cheers, the show, uh, who like the main character of Cheers, ironically, was just at Poker Go Studios for yeah. their charity Ted Danson, event. Sam Malone. Yep. Ted Danson, yeah. So it reminds me of that where like everyone knows each other. Mm. Um, it's got like a warm feel. Uh, it's a, like a fun atmosphere. Hella, hella DJ and hella gambling. Uh, really good, juicy cash games. And like, yeah, I, I mean, I just... It, it was just great. It reminded me of like my hometown of like in 2006 and 2005 when I was playing poker and like crushing, <laughs> crushing the, the locals at Thunder at uh, River Creek Casino. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it kind of reminded me of like back in the day, like a small hometown casino. Nice. Nice. OK. I do want to circle back to one thing, though. You said, uh, you know, it it was important to you and you saw that. Uh, Chris really wanted to bring more women uh, to uh, to the Jack um, and, you know, to do ladies events. Um, you've said that you enjoy the ladies events so much and, uh, you know, you shared specifically the type of vibe and it's great. Is it important to you that we reach parity of like, you know, 50-50 kind of thing or just that we keep this momentum or is does there need to be some sort of, in your opinion, like a watershed event of a woman making the final? Like, is the, Are those musts or is it more of just keep doing what we're doing and like a, a gradual growth would be nice? What's your view on that? We have no choice. It's going to be a gradual growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what WPT did is like a step in the right direction. But this is like a systemic issue. This is not this is not just a poker issue. This is mm. like a STEM issue. This is like women, like when I was, you know, ready to go to university, I was encouraged to go into nursing and not into engineering. Mm-hmm. So this, this landscape will change as society changes and society is changing. So more women are going into STEM, more women are going into medical school, more women are graduating with undergrads than men now. So as women go into more mathematical fields, as misogyny goes down and men start to be inclusive of women in their groups. And when I say this, uh, people are going to get mad, but there is like, look at solve for why look at upswing poker, look at these groups of men run at once. It's groups of men who become friends, who share information and start businesses together. And the women who are included in these in these private groups are the ones that are dating the guys. It's you never have like this platonic relationship or very rarely you have this platonic one woman in the group that starts the business with the guys and is studying and everything there. There's like, I think that's my generation. That's how men, men were like more objectifying women. And you were only included if you were romantically involved with one of the partners in the group. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there's a younger generation of men like Landon Tice, uh, you know, that his generation 
is capable of having platonic interactions with women. And I think that generation, so now the younger women are going to be going more into STEM and engineering and stuff like that. And the younger generation of men will be more inclusive of those women. And I think the women will be pulled into these poker groups where they're studying and running solvers and they're on discord and they're talking and hopefully not being so toxic towards the women, which we find is a problem in like certain circles. Like gaming is a problem. I I follow female gamers who get like verbally assaulted by men when they're playing, but that's a different story. So I just, I think it's a whole generational issue that is slowly going to get better where like your focus as a woman, isn't going to be like, Oh, when am I going to, when am I going to get married and and have a child? Maybe your focus will be like, Hey, I'm, I want to win a world series of poker bracelet and me and my guy friends are going to be, you know, studying together until one of us does. And I just think the shift is starting to happen. It's just going to take, I think it's going to take a few generations. I think it, we will be in a world where like 40% of the players are women. That'd be amazing. We will get into it. We will get there, but we, we just have to like, it's part of the problem is misogyny that, we right. weren't included in these groups. How are we supposed to come in when we weren't included in the study group, when we weren't included in anything, we weren't allowed to get the, not allowed, but it, you know what I mean? Like we weren't getting the engineering degrees and then mm-hmm. we weren't getting these high paid jobs. And then we have to bring in our, our money where we're making less on the dollar compared to men. And then we haven't been included in any of the study. And then we're just losing. Right. We don't want to come into that. Right. So we want to have the same level playing field. We want to be included in these groups. I will say that the two guys that I grew up playing poker with in Canada, Ali and, uh, well, we call him Troy, but his name's Tufik. He's from Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, they, we studied together. They treated me like they're equal and we would argue over poker hands all the time. But like, most of the groups I see, like Solve for Why, Melissa does the podcast with them, but is she involved in the training? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they are they like mentoring a woman to get her involved in training? Upswing Poker, is there a woman, a female coach? Uh, Run at Once, is there a female coach? You know, like who who's actively trying, like putting out a red carpet for women and saying, oh, we have a women's event is like the literally the like smallest step you could take right saying okay we have a group of like 10 guys where we're all like sharing equity in each other's tournaments and we're all studying together where's the woman like why right. aren't we including a woman here or is there a woman that we could include that we don't want to just fuck right so i i think that sorry i don't know if you're allowed swearing on your podcast that's here we are it's the the cards chat podcast is very happy to have you here with us i can tell you that that's for sure though and and honestly it's important to you know whatever language one uses it's very clear that you're passionate about and it's important to speak your mind and not be you know feel muzzled in any way and you know more more power to you for it i don't think you know like anything you know whatever the demographics are the you know the actual data points it can't switch overnight as you said i do think it's right. gradual and i think also like on an industry side when you hear that the wpt has more than 50% of its uh, employees as women on a much smaller level here on the cards chat podcast we have over 25% of our guests uh, have been women across 116 episodes you know it's important to sort of uh you know nudge that 
that percentage in, in the right but, direction and, and sort of see it over time. Um, and very good point as well as like, you know, well, if it's a group of guys, it's because 95%, you know, it's almost like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. But as you reintroduce or introduce more women into these study groups, into the training sites, slowly, you know, it's like the representation, you'll see it more. Oh, okay. I, I can, I'll learn from the women coach because that's how I feel more comfortable or I'll, I'll play in the ladies event. And then I'll go to the open events and start learning from more coaches. So I, I definitely see the, the path to increase women's uh, participation there. Um, and wow. I mean, I, I, it's happened to me a couple times where I've played uh, mostly, you know, mixed games, but I've played with four or five women at a table of eight or nine uh, players. And like, this is pretty cool. It, it's, it's almost like, why is it rare? Why should I have to ask every woman who comes on the show, the women question? Like, I want to get past that as well. And I, I do hope we get there. Uh, hopefully, uh, if the generations are short, but uh, not the generations from now, but uh, hopefully well within our lifetimes. Well, what's interesting is like when you say that, I would the WPT meetup game that we had uh, at the World Series of Poker or during the World Series of Poker, but it was at MGM we had three horse tables and yeah. two or three PLO tables, all women. Yeah. And tell me why, when I go see, when I go to a casino and I see a regular horse game, there's like not one woman. What is the, how do we get three horse tables full of women who all fucking know how to play horse and who all like grinded horse. I watched them for like six hours and I heard some of those tables lasted all night. How are they there? And why aren't they playing in the regular horse games? What's happening? What is the dynamic that they're choosing not to be in the regular horse game? Because every time I see a horse game spread, which is very rare, it's just men. So what are what are we also doing at the table? I mean, I can tell you, like, I'm not going to turn this into a, hey, this is all the bad stuff that happened to me while playing poker. But it's a lot of shit that happens while you're playing, too, that makes women uncomfortable. So. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just like, explain to me why we can get, you know, three PLO and three horse games. Plus like, I don't even know how many tables you had, like 20 something tables or less than 20, but like, plus the rest of them being hold them. How, how did we get those numbers? Right. If they're not, if they're not like in the regular games, it's, right. it was just so weird to me. Like we, we have a ton of women who play horse and mix games and like, where are they? Right. I think so, it's just a matter of like, again, of, of like. If you build it, they will come and they go ahead and they, they put the blueprint right. out there. They said, we're going to get great hosts. We're going to have gift bags and we're going to create this fun time. And then, you know, they came. Everyone showed up. It was amazing. Yeah. And what so. and what brings women in is different than what brings men in. So I like the fact that we're not doing the same things like WPT sees that WPT is like, look, Jamie Kerstetter. You hold the reins here. What do we need to do to get, a, you know, more women in this? Like, what do we... Jamie told me they're like putting money into actively trying to get women into the game. So that is really good. Like trying to use the same mechanisms for men and women is just not, That's I mean, right. you you can look at any marketing campaigns like diet, it's diet Coke and Coke zero, like diet Cokes for, they marketed it to women and Coke zero to men. And like, there's a clear divide there, but like, it is what it is. We, right. we uh, are attracted to things differently. So yep. Uh, I like that WPT is thinking outside the box to try to get women in the game. And man, oh man, was that series in December just the freaking greatest. Like, did <laughs> I, I felt like I was getting royal treatment everywhere yeah. I went. I played the WPT 2550 cash game. That was 
just crazy. Like, I don't know why I got in the ring with all these like heavy hitters. They were like the best female poker players in the world. And I'm just sitting there like, Oh, no problem. I don't need five grand. It's fine. (laughs) So, um, but WPT just like shout out to WPT. I, I voted for them to win the best tournament, um, series. And they did. I'm so glad they won because they just went above and beyond. I can't wait for this year's. And they did. Well, uh, another uh, oh, GPI dovetails very nicely. GPI Awards uh, recipient. I'm speaking to one. Uh, you won the charitable initiative of the year at the Global Poker Awards in 2021. Um, you know, a member of the poker community we know you really love is uh, KL Cleeton. Shout out KL. Uh, good dude. Uh, he's a poker. A poker career is one of inspiration to so many people as he has muscular atrophy. Uh, atrophy. Um, Many people may remember your initiative to help raise money for him and and facilitate transportation for him from his home to uh, the World Series of Poker. Um, How did you first come to know him and what inspired you to, I don't know, come up with an initiative like that? And then I guess beyond that, what does your friendship with KL mean to you? Uh, So I met him, I interviewed him. I can't even remember. I think like we started following each other on Twitter Mm. and I asked him if I could interview him because he was, um, he has his own, um, poker site where, um, range trainer pro where you can basically practice your opening ranges, um, in different spots. And I was like, Oh, cool. This is like a really cool tool. Like, if I can and it's not expensive maybe either. help promote him to like my small audience to be cool. Mm-hmm. And then I started interviewing him and like, I'm like, this kid is so fucking bright. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just like, you know, at, as we start talking, I start figuring out that he doesn't have a, a form of transportation mm-hmm. and he's been stuck in his house basically for two years. He did have a van. And if, for anyone who doesn't know him, he's basically a quadriplegic. And so he didn't, he did have a van, but it was like broken down and occasionally they'd fix it, but they just didn't have the money to maintain it anymore. And they kind of lived in like a snowy part of Illinois. So I think he was able to go to a doctor occasionally here and there, but like not anywhere near a normal life where he can just come and go as he pleases. And I was like, man, like be, this is beyond unfair. Like my brain can't comprehend how he just can't do stuff. Like he just can't go to a restaurant with his family. Like he can't like, it's, it's so weird to me. It was like making me uncomfortable with how unfair that was. And I was just like, I kind of need to do something about this. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed him right before the pandemic hit and then the pandemic hit and it was just a disaster. I raised $5,000 initially and I think 4,000 of it was from Ryan LaPlante. And I, I was just like getting nowhere with this. And I remember reaching out to him. I'm like, look, I'm not giving up on this. I just want you to know that like the economy is just take shitting the bed right now. And the World Series of Poker is probably going to be canceled. But I want to get you to the next World Series of Poker. Like that's my goal. And he's like, oh, no problem. Like you don't have to, you don't have to worry about this. And I'm like, well, no, I am. I, I do want to. And I was thinking that I would put it off for a little bit, which I did. And then I was like, well, um, oh yeah, the World Series of Poker announced that they were coming back. And I was like, oh shit, we need to get KL to the World Series of Poker. And that was when it was in uh, 
November or December October, of October, 2021. Yeah. October, right? Yeah. October, yeah. So I was like, oh, they announced it. Oh, gosh. So what I was <laughs> going to do, uh, Brent Harrington started producing my show because I just didn't know how to go, like, go live to Twitch, go live to YouTube, and like then run a show and an interview. And I was like, okay, here's what I want to do, Brent. Uh, I, I need a producer and I want to start a fundraiser for KL. And I'm probably gonna have to do it every week until either I raise enough money or the World Series of Poker. Right. And the most insane thing happened. I blocked off my calendar for like, it was like 20 Saturdays. And I was like, okay, so we have like 20, 25 weeks or whatever. Let's get to work. Literally, it happened on the first day. The first day, I I booked almost every single poker celebrity I had in my freaking Rolodex. Yeah. And and also Phil Helmuth just showed up randomly because Daniel Moon got wind of this fundraiser and she saw that we were online and she jumped online and then she like, I don't know who she talked to. I think she got a hold of Brent. <laughs> And she gave the login information to uh, to Phil Helmuth, and Phil Helmuth freaking shows up in the yep. in the fundraiser, and I didn't even invite him, and he donates. <laughs> and then after that, it was just it got it it was like wildfire, right? And we were like roasting KL, which was like the theme. He loves that. So <laughs> he really does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like. I remember Brandon Shack Harrison, uh, Jamie Kersitter were like the two of my last, and and Benny. Benny Glacier was also like one of the last ones. And I remember those three were just like, uh, they didn't want to roast KL. And I was like, this is the point of the show guys right. roast him. And they're like, we can't roast a guy in a wheelchair. I'm like, right, do right. it. Uh, but yeah, it, it ended up, I only needed to do one. And I think we, we roasted KL and had the fundraiser for like six hours. I asked, um, uh, I asked like three or four vloggers to repost my Twitch stream on theirs. Uh-huh, right. And right. then Kevin Martin also went live on his stream on mine while we were fundraising. That also helped. So we, I just basically was like kicking down every poker celebrity's door. And I was like, please help me. If you don't want to donate, just please repost me or whatever, retweet me. And we ended up going live on like multiple Twitch channels and on my YouTube channel and like everybody, it was just wild. By the end of the day, we ended up raising, I think like, I don't know, like 50,000 or something. Mm -hmm. And we needed, he initially told me like 75 or 80,000. And then later on, he told me it was like 95,000 he needed. But anyway, I, I called Bill Perkins and, um, before the fundraiser, I was like, I was on the phone with Bill Perkins in the parking lot of my work at my on my lunch break, being mm. like, "Please, can you donate twenty five k? Please, right. I know that you've done so much for me. I know you helped me with my legal fees versus Mike Postle, but I am begging you. I I I had to give him the money back, the leftover money from sure. um, the the legal stuff, mm-hmm. and I was like, I still had." That we were giving him back a substantial amount, and I was uh-huh. like, "Bill, please let just let me keep twenty five k of it, please." And I like, I finally convinced him. He's like, "What?" Well, I remember like calling him, and I'm like, "Okay, Bill." I he said, "If you raise twenty five k, I'll match it." I'm like, "Perfect." So I raised fifty, and he's like, "Oh, I guess you don't need it." I'm like, "No, I do because I need seventy five thousand." 
And then we ended up raising more than 75,000. Anyway, he thank shout out to Bill Perkins, my biggest donor. And then Johnny vibes, 10 K. Um, and yeah, it just uh, all, and then I was like exhausted and, um, KL's friend, Adam took over with like getting the vehicle, registering the vehicle. Like I was just like mentally after that fundraiser and having to contact people and everything. I was just like, I, it was a whole community of people that helped make that happen. That's, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't just me. So it was the freaking poker community. And that's what makes everything fucking worth it is the poker community is just like the fucking best. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's such a, I mean, I, I'm so happy you went into all the details and normally what I do, I didn't do it this entire episode, but normally when so, you know the guest mentions a different guest we have, I say, oh, they're on episode this, they're on episode that. But like you name drop, like, I don't know, 50 people we've had on this podcast. And what I love about that is you can tell a lot about a person by the folks they hang out with, by the folks they have on their Rolodex and the folks you can just call up and who come to your aid when you need it. And you can tell a lot about a person. You're not asking help for yourself. It was, you know, you're, you're saying, please, can I have it? But you're asking for it with the passion as though it's for yourself, but it's for someone else. And I think it's an absolutely beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, you did get, in the, you don't do these sorts of things for awards, but I'm so happy that GPI, again, you know, we're, I guess, a year and a half after it happened, but uh, saw to it and saw fitting that you were recognized for such a beautiful thing. And, you know, it's not the amount of money. It's the the togetherness that you were able to inspire for everyone to help one person. That's the beauty of poker, as I see it as well. It's a, such a beautiful thing. Um, folks, this is the segment of the show uh, where I've exhausted my set of questions. I feel like I can still talk to you another hour or so, but uh, we have a whole bunch of community questions of folks in the Cards Chat uh, forums who it. knew you were coming on. Um, I love community questions. Those are my favorite. Oh, just wait. We always have some interesting ones. Yeah. Um, we do have a dedicated too, Yeah, we have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So folks, as we announced, who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Uh, some new names here, which I'm really happy to see, uh, and some old fan favorites. So we'll start with Zoro222, Zoro222. Uh, Veronica, this uh, individual would like to know whether you prefer commentating on poker or playing. Oh, commentating for sure. And I'm terrible at both. So I like doing color commentary. I would say my favorite person to do commentary with is Christian Soto. He is, I think he's like, um, a third grade teacher who knows how to speak to the kids mm. and it, there's no wrong answer or no mm. wrong questions. Like he's just so smooth and easy to talk to. And like, I just dig the way he thinks about poker. And then I, I feel like I ask him the right questions and mm -hmm. we just vibe together. Nice. So with the right person, I like color commentary. I like it. Very cool. Good answer. I like, I like the, the depth and the showing your, showing your work. Uh, so to speak of like, that's, not, <laughs> that's good stuff. Uh, I was a more. very good student. <laughs> there you go. Um, one more from Zoro222, Zoro222. A quick one, Veronica, dogs or cats? Oh, uh, I like both. I'm sorry. I could have both. I Ooh, did. I, but okay, we'll take. We will accept the answer. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm getting to a place where I need to go buy ten cats. Right? Like I'm a single middle aged woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. 
Um, our next uh, question asker, another new name I haven't seen before. Good to see you, Mandholo. Thank you so much for sending in your questions. Uh, Veronica, Mandholo wants to know, what is the most memorable move you've ever made at a poker table? Oh, there was the, so I was in a five ten game at Bellagio. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and this guy was like super freaking bluffing in certain spots. And you could tell every time he was bluffing because he would over bet the river by going all in and he would like get real shifty. <laughs> and I was like playing there for hours and I was just like watching him, you know, bluff so many people. And he always showed it because he had like this massive ego. Mm. And then when he wasn't bluffing, he played it a different way. Uh-huh. So then like every time he tried to bluff me, I would just call. I just like call with mid pair. Like I, I like opened up my range against him and like I call, I was just like calling every time he was trying to bluff me and he was like what are you doing i can't understand how you're doing this and i'm like i'm a fucking pro dude like yeah that's how I love but it. like he he it was just like so obvious to me but the table was just like a constant rotation of people so no one stayed long enough to notice nice great answer that's a great story awesome uh i love that's why i love also about the community questions they you never know what form they'll take and what great little nuggets uh and good stories come out of there uh we'll do one more from manholo uh veronica what is the best tip excuse me that you've ever received from a professional poker player tip like no no not like uh, uh, here's five bucks but like uh advice no i know um uh, that's a good question. Oh, I mean, like Andrew Barber got me into crypto Ooh, and okay. he, I remember when I bought my first Bitcoin, um, in 2009, 2018, oh, when it was like 3,200. No, no, that would be <laughs> awesome. Right. Okay. But, uh, had I listened to his advice, I would be a multimillionaire and I mm. wouldn't need to work. I would still work because I love working, but yeah, I'd be able to afford to buy a, a house in Silicon Valley <laughs> had nice. I listened to him. Nice. Okay. That's a good tip. Um, Idhemi, another new name. Thank you so much for sending this one. And we'll just ask one of these. Uh, we have a lot of question askers here. Uh, Idhemi wants to know, it's a pretty deep one. What are some of the biggest challenges you faced in your work or personal life and how have you overcome them? Yeah, I I think the biggest challenge I've ever faced was losing my son uh to cancer and it has taken me years to learn to deal with it and I think grief is something you never recover from. Yeah. You just learn how to live your life. Like I can now, after years of therapy, I can now talk about my son without crying mm -hmm. and without crying, without me going into a deep depression for three days. So now I'm like, I've worked through some of those things. I still cry. I still, you know, there are days where I cry every day. Mm -hmm. And then there are times where I'll cry only once a week. Mm -hmm. um, but that has changed or like shifted my look on life and mm. where I derive my happiness from and what is important. And I now value my peace and I value 
uh, human interaction and uh, like friendship over like a, I'd rather have a dinner with someone at like, you know, some cheap like hole in the wall restaurant and have like a good conversation than buy some like fucking purse. You know, I, I'd rather like go for a hike and like look at a sunset than like go, I don't know, go like on, on some cheesy touristy, you know, like, I don't know, trip or something like right. I, I've, I value like more meaningful things in my life. Right. And, and when I like with relationships, I would rather be alone and have my peace and happiness than like have like a, a shallow interaction with a partner. Mm-hmm. I want to have a meaningful, uh, deep connected relationship with someone or I'd r- rather not have it. Whereas like when I was younger, I was just like, I need to be with someone. I just, I ne- right. like, I can't be alone. So now I like, I can be alone and I'd prefer to be alone rather than, you know, I, I, I just don't want anybody. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That does. Think, things are different for me now. Right. You know, like, uh, obviously when doing the research, you know, not uh, oblivious uh, to the fact of, you know, things that happen in your life. And I, you know, it's not for me to ask those sorts of questions, but since you've opened up about it, um, it's a, a, a beautiful and healthy thing uh, that you've you know taken care of yourself. Uh, it's so important to be able to do that and be able to to deal with it in the most positive way possible. And uh, you know, I, I, I've experienced loss not of that variety, but you know, my mother when I was very young as well. And uh, so I do understand the, the pain of loss, um, but um, to know how to deal with it and just not be afraid to put yourself first sometimes. And you learn a lot of things about yourself, um, you know, obviously. So um, good for you. And thank you for being open and speaking so openly about that here on the, on the card chat podcast, Veronica, it's been a beautiful thing. Um, uh, as we change in poker, you got to shift gears sometimes. So a massive gear shift from uh, those new question askers to one of our regulars, acid burn FX. Uh, and Matt Savage, if you're listening to this, because I know you listen to every episode, I know you're rubbing your fingers. Okay, what's Acid Burn FX going to ask here? Um, always ask some interesting ones. Uh, Veronica, if you became invisible for a day, what would you do and why? Oh, if I became invisible, <laughs> I, told I you probably some... would. I would probably get on a flight to... Like, I really want to go to Dubai. I probably would, like, get on a flight to Dubai and, like, go to sit in first class. Nice. <laughs> uh, I would probably, like, or go to, I don't know. I, I would probably, I would just get on a flight somewhere and um, spend the day in, like, some cool location and run around. And I wouldn't do anything, like, bad. I would right. just use it as a as a way to get a free flight. <laughs> awesome. I love it. That's such a creative answer. That's great. Love it. Um, we'll do another creative. I, I will do maybe two more from acid burn FX. Such great questions. Uh, what is a skill that you wish you had, but you don't and why? Uh, I wish. So I struggle with discipline. Hmm. I, um, have a lot of discipline in um like physical stuff like working out because i in my 20s 
my boyfriend was a professional athlete and him and I worked out together for like for years. Oh, wow. And I just maintained that discipline. I've always been active my entire life. But the studying, I was lazy when I was younger. I never really gained good study skills. I took a very scenic route with school and um, (laughs) my parents never helped me with studying. So I have to really fight to study. I had to study a lot for my current job for the technical portion of the interview. And like, I really have to, I fucking hate it. Like my brain's like, Oh, let's just go watch TikTok and like, you know, take an edible. But I, I have to force myself to read. I have to Mm. force myself. I wish I had better study habits and, um, I do have the curiosity and I do like it when I, when I start getting going, but it's just getting started. Um, yeah, I just wish I had a a little bit more discipline in that area. Well, I guess uh, awareness is the first step. So, you know, uh, hopefully to get over that initial hump. (laughs) I do it, but like, yeah, it's so weird how life is like, you think after a while things would get easier or like, like working out, like I've always worked out and I enjoy working out, but I still to this day, like I'm, 45 years old, I still to this day wake up and my body's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I feel like I'm dealing with a five-year-old. Like, I'm just like, okay, I know I need to go. But I I still like, life is just constant pushing yourself, constantly uh, fighting everything, fighting aging, fighting memory loss, fighting, like you're constantly having to work on yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I see, I mean, no judgment. People should live the lives they want to live. But when I see people who have let themselves go in Mm. like many ways, and I used to watch my parents tell me like, we're too old to study. We're too old. I hate it so much. Mm. I like the way I look at life is that I'm, I don't care about my age. I don't care about what people think of me to a limit depending on who they are. But like, I think that like until I die, you can't tell me I can't take a class or I can't learn something or I can't like try something new or I can't try something physical. I still go like sprinting. I still run. I still do things that like I would think by my age, I wouldn't be able to do anymore. Like when you're 20, you're like 45, you're like decrepit and in diapers by then, obviously, but it hasn't worked out that way. Right. And so yeah, I, I don't. I'm going on a tangent, no, but that's fair. Um, that's fair. I just, I just, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of continual learning, perpetual motion. I like it. Well, I will say, uh, and I definitely felt seen as far as the the same exact thing. Not that I'm you know working out in gyms or anything, but anytime I decide to exercise, I know certain part of my brain is. Oh, and it's so good for you, and you're going to feel so great. And I can do it in the middle of the afternoon. I got all the free. It's wonderful, right? But just putting on your shoes to go outside. That's like, if I can get over the putting on the shoes part, I feel. And I do want to thank you for telling the truth up until that point where you said you're 45 years old, because you're clearly not 45 years old, but we'll let that one slide. (laughs) There's no way. I don't, I just don't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. One, quite a few more. So we'll try to do one from each. Uh, We're good on time, Veronica. Just check them. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. We're good. Awesome. These are the fun questions. I like the, I like the questions from the community. I think they're always the most fun. Okay. And no offense taken. Great. Okay. So (laughs) 
I kid, I kid. No, but it's true. That's why we have them. And at the end of the day, this podcast uh, is for the Cards Jack community. So I'm so happy that so many of you. No one's listening by this point anyway. So we (laughs) could just talk about anything, you know, they've all already tuned up. Um, Red Boy 23. I don't think I've seen this name before. So thank you very much for sending this one in. Um, What was your biggest obstacle or leak in learning poker? Oh my gosh. I mean, just, just when I started out, of course, there were no solvers when I started out. I mean, when you have this know-it-all attitude, when you're like very living in an absolute world, which like I struggled with in every part of my life, like there were times where I like thought I was peaking in things. Um, that's like, that's a big thing for me. Like it took me a little while to start being okay with being wrong. Mm. It took me a while to be okay with like understanding things and not having like beliefs. So I don't like dig my heels in and die on hills Mm. with, uh, with like pieces of knowledge. It's okay to just have, uh, things be fluid like understanding of things be fluid, like, okay, it's like this now, but when evidence changes it, that changes. And so like having an, having an attitude of knowing it all and like having it figured out and like thinking everyone's, you know, stupid for their suggestions. That's like, Mm -hmm. that's like, that was a big leak of mine when I was young, but I feel like we all have like big egos when we're young. Right. And I guess, well, when you got over that, realized that was a leak and started correcting that, it must have felt pretty darn good. Yeah, but I'm still like shit at poker, but oh, <laughs> poker's a microcosm of the of like the rest of the world, for sure. Mm, yeah. Those who study more do better. And, um, you know, like I, I applied that that item into the rest of my life, right? Into my professional life. And so now in my professional life, I don't have this pressure to feel like I know everything and then I have to be like that person to everyone. Uh, I'm okay with being wrong. I'm okay with saying, you know what, let me, you know, let me look into that and get back to you. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be this like all knowing wizard of Oz. Got it. Okay. Cool. That's fair. Um, crystals is our next uh, question asker. Thank you very much. Crystals. Uh, good friend, Chris Robinson uh, for sending these in. Um, Veronica, we talked about it a little bit before uh, we went on the air, and you've done uh, a little bit of an accent a couple times uh, thus far on the show. Uh, your Twitter handle of Angry Pollock. How did that uh, come to be? Why'd you choose that one? You don't seem that angry. <laughs> so I come from a very loud Polish family. And when I say loud, like anytime we had non-Polish, like Canadians over at our house, because I grew up in Canada. Yep. Well, that's the next question. Go on. (laughs) Why is your family yelling? Like, why is everyone so angry? I'm like, what are you talking about? This is not angry. This is not yelling. Because I like, even when I do the Nick Vertucci show, his producer's like, why are you yelling? Why are you so angry? I'm like, I'm not angry. This is the way I talk. And so I, I like, I remember my brother had a girlfriend and they broke up and I remember reaching out to her poor thing would come to dinner. And like the women in my family would be like, why you fat? You fat? Oh my God. What's going on? (laughs) 
like just very straightforward. But oh, I grew wow. up with like these super matter of fact women. Right. And she and they just weren't being rude. That's just remember, the culture. Right. I get it. They just, they just like shot from the hip. And I like now, I mean, obviously working in corporate, I can't do that. Mm. But like, um, I remember speaking to one of his girlfriends after they broke up or on Facebook or whatever. And I was like, Hey, you know, is everything okay? She was like, I had such a hard time with your family. Like everyone was just so loud and like straightforward and I'm just not used to it. And so I, everyone thought I was like, we were angry and yelling. And so I made an angry Polak and it's kind of ironic. It's a little ironic. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> I mean, I've been talking to you for an hour and a half. I'm like, I haven't seen one ounce of anger in you. I don't get it. <laughs> it's I mean, angry. we all I can get it. angry. Sure. I'm course. just trying to. Yeah. I, <laughs> as long as we're not dating, I don't, I don't get, I don't get angry. I just get angry at guys I date. <laughs> all good. All good. Uh, well, we know Crystal's is from Canada, and uh, also you live in Canada for many years. Uh, Crystal says, well, your hand in mouth list, your nationality is Canadian. Uh, and from what I see, you grew up out west. I guess he's meaning like British Columbia or so, so that area. or Alberta. Uh, yeah, Alberta. There you go. So what did you like most about living in Canada? Crystal's wants to know. Uh, okay. I mean, I grew up there. So, uh, no, not the weather. <laughs> no, no, no one ever one of the unique, I had a very unique experience growing up. I, so for, first of all, Canada's way more multicultural than most like U.S. cities. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I mean, I live in San Jose, so I think the Bay Area is very multicultural. It kind of reminds me of that diversity. But um, I was surrounded with constant like, um, first like not even like first generation right Mm -hmm. what is it called when you like actual immigrants all my friends were immigrants like uh some of my best friends growing up uh born in jamaica born in pakistan born in uh lebanon born in israel uh like a born in egypt i mean and then we would go you know me and my group of friends we would go to the polish restaurant we would go to the israeli restaurant we would go to like you know all of these I was exposed to so many different cultures and I grew up like most of my best friends were Jamaican Mm -hmm. and I was able to have a really good exposure Mm -hmm. to so many different cultures. And I like, in a way I like, I'm not a big fan of being poor. I feel like we were in poverty for a while, but I do think it shaped me for the better. Like Mm -hmm. I have met some weird rich people and i'm just like oh yeah like it's it's weird like i feel like you lose a little you're not a pot you're a pie without a crust you know Ooh. you're <laughs> you're 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 like missing some of the essence man and like i'm not saying it's good to be poor mm. but like i it made it made my life different and i think looking back now it's made my life better like i have I believe that I have like a, a tremendous amount of resilience because of it. Like I, there, I, there's not a bone in my body that like will allow me to give up when I get kicked. I just, I just don't give up. I'm like, okay, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to go do this. One door closes, the next door opens. And I'm, I'm just like endlessly relentless. And um, so I think like being brought up in Canada being exposed to so many different cultures, I have like a different view on things. And um, 
I find like a lot of Americans are kind of secluded. It depends on the area. Right. I think Bay Area is a little more diverse, but um, huh. America's an interesting place. Yeah, it's pretty big. 330 there's, million. There's some That's there's some big. states that uh you know seclude themselves. Uh, yeah. uh I don't want to get too political on this show, but it's all know. good. It's all good. You gotta be your authentic self is most important. Um Baloo, 1982, another uh, another name I have not seen before. Again, just great to see these. Uh thank you so much for sending these in. Um when did you play your first ever poker tournament and what was that experience like for you? Oh my God. Everyone knows that the first time you set foot in a casino and play a real tournament for the first time, you're petrified. Mm -hmm. So I would say the first real, I mean, would you call a sit and go a tournament? Sure. I was playing sit and goes at the MGM. Oh, 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 okay. So my very first real tournament was like a palace casino in West Edmonton mall. Shout out to West Ed. Wow. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so I grew up in West Edmonton. And there was a casino in the mall and they, I don't remember if they were like $20 or $30 tournaments, but they were like super cheap. I think they ran them twice a day or maybe three times a day. It was like almost like a Sahara $60 daily. Like they used to right. have, I don't know if you've ever played at Sahara back in its heyday, no. man, the $60 dailies at 11 a.m. And then I think there was one at like 3 p.m. And then there was one at new or at 11 p.m. I've played the South and, Point $60 uh, dailies. Like a similar vibe. Oh thing? no no no! This no? was this was before the South Point. Okay. This was before the South Point existed. Oh wow! I'm aging myself. Sahara <laughs> at like 3 a.m. would have a uh, like a, a a buffet a buffet for the players that were in the 11 p.m. tournament. Nice. And my my oh my! Were those eggs runny? So, uh, <laughs> there were I think it was twenty dollar tournaments at Palace Casino, and I am not joking. Anyone who played there with me, please verify. They sat us 11 handed. Oh my God. And, and the tables were small. They weren't the big poker tables. So we were squished. I never made a final table. I had a friend named Corey who, like, was hang he was like the Phil Helmuth of Palace Casino. He knew <laughs> how to, like, get through that crowd. And he, like, made final tables all the time in these $20 tournaments. Yeah, that's how I first learned. Those were my first tournaments. Wow. So. Wow, everyone's got their origin what story. What a shit that's show a, that was. That's incredible. Oh, my goodness. Joga, uh, another new name. Thank you very much for sending this one in. Um, what is your advice, Veronica, for someone just starting to play poker and how to not let it become an addiction? I mean, if you have addictive personality, you're... I mean, you have to be aware of that, right? Like, you... You have to know what your stop loss is and what your thresholds are. Like if you if you have an addictive personality, a lot of gambling and alcohol and stuff would be tough. Um, I would say if you have addiction problems, maybe poker's not the right thing for you. But if you're passionate about poker, then you have to set clear boundaries for yourself and not allow yourself to get out of line when you're playing. Um, I would say what I see in I would say do what I've seen in successful players. So mm -hmm. surround yourself with su su successful players and run hands past them. Learn how to run hands past people. That is like the biggest gripe I've had. Um, any like people I've paid to help me with poker, they're like, you've got to 
send me your hand histories in a proper way. You can't mm-hmm. just like throw this garbage at me. So you got to, you got to learn how to put together hand histories and you've got to take really good notes while you're playing, share your hand histories with people who can give you good feedback and not some bullshit feedback. And yeah. you know, the difference between those two things. Um, surround yourself with people who have the same goals as you don't hang out with people who are partying till three in the morning. If you're like interested in running solvers and getting better at the game. If you've got an eye for a World Series of Poker bracelet, don't hang out with people who are like pissing away $500 a night at 1-3 and they don't want to talk hands with you. Right. So I think it like has to do with your community and it has to do with like your discipline. If you're disciplined enough to do it, I think anyone can. Nice. Great answer. Very that It's almost sounds like you're reading it off a card. That's such a great, you know, Detailed, thorough answer there. I like it. And the right one. That's the, that's the correct answer. Um, three more names here, uh, if that's all right. Uh, Pussycat is one we have not seen before. Uh, wants to know, Veronica, top three women in poker in descending order. Uh, I don't know how to put these in order. I okay. think Jamie Kerstetter. Jamie Kerstetter, and they didn't say skills, so I'm I'm gonna assume like skills and broadcasting and media and and um, promoting the game. Jamie Kerstetter, Ebony Ken- Kenny. Okay, Ebony Kenny, yeah. Um. Uh. Oh gosh. There's just like so many women now mm. that are so good. Um, so there's a woman who quietly plays poker. Uh, she calls herself She Plays Poker. Courtney, uh, I follow her on Instagram and she sells action. And when she sells action, I try to repost her. Mm. She, from what I've heard, she's really good and thorough. So I'm going to I'm gonna give her a shout out. I like awesome. her. Awesome. Great list there. Um, okay. Chica Bonita asks a question. Uh, thank you very much, Chica Bonita. You've sort of answered parts of it, so I'll tweak it a little at the end. Uh, says you have radically changed your place of residence several times in your life. Tell us where you really enjoyed living, uh, I guess the most, and are you happy or I'll, I'll tweak this part. Um, what are you happiest about in the place that you live right now? You said, uh, San Jose in the Bay Area. I would say my favorite place I've ever lived was Sacramento, California. And that's where I started uh, doing commentary at Stones. That city is a warm city. It's the Canada of United States. It's like (laughs) people are chatty. There's lots of like mom and pop um, restaurants downtown. There's lots of beer gardens and coffee shops and it's just got a cool vibe. And people who you know, poo-poo Sacramento, you have Mm -hmm. no idea what you're talking about. It is such a great city and they have Thunder Valley out there and they used to, I mean, Stones is still out there, but it's like, whatever. Capital Casino, if you want to get stabbed or have a car drive through the wall while you're playing, that's a great place. (laughs) Um, But I would say like a very, very, very close second, just, just a hairline below that is the Bay Area. And, um, yeah, I've lived like in Canada and Texas and Nevada. I did live in Vegas for a little bit. I think that the opportunities that you have in Silicon Valley are the best in the world. Hmm. 
and that's anecdotal, so don't come at me, but I think the opportunities that I've been given, I would not have had anywhere else. I wouldn't have had this in Canada and I wouldn't have had this in like Poland right? So, um, or Texas. I, yeah, I think there's a balance for me. Like there needs to be a good, I need to have a, a professional life where I feel like I'm doing good work and, um, I'm doing something meaningful. And then I need to have like a private life where I have some peace, where I have good friends. And, um, I felt like that mostly in Sacramento, um, but I couldn't pass up this job opportunity in the Bay area. So I moved out here and it's, it's getting there. It's taken a lot longer to get to a place where it feels as homey as Sacramento did, but it's getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a good group of friends out here and I'm, I love my job. I love my manager. So it's awesome. Yeah. It's getting That's wonderful. Um, I'm not sure if it's uh it's just weird to end off a little bit on this, but it's just, if this is true, that I mean, definitely great research. I didn't realize this. Uh, love poker is our final question. Ask her here. Is it really true? And, and if it's not true, we apologize. I'm reading the question as it was written. Is it really true, Veronica, that you were introduced to poker via a broken TV being stuck for three channels and one channel that had 24 hours a day of poker on it? So, <laughs> yes. It's not a broken TV. It was a broken satellite dish. Okay. The first home I bought, the first home I bought, I was like 27, 28. It was like a, a townhome and um, I like, it was like a $130,000 home, just under 130,000. It was like a cute little first home. Uh-huh. And I, after I put, my parents helped me with the down payment. And after I, I got that house, like the first three months, I had no money at all. I remember like living off of $50. Luckily my parents lived like a mile away and I would go to their place and like take food from their fridge. Right. 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 Yeah. We've all been <laughs> And all there. I did. Yeah. 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 So, um, there, the person who sold me the house left the satellite dish. They just couldn't be bothered to remove it. Okay. And I didn't pay for cable when I lived there. I couldn't afford it. Um, and so it still worked. It was still giving me like three channels. One of them was, in Canada, we have this 24-7. I don't know if it's still on in Canada. Right. This was a while ago. But uh, th- it was like a 24-7 poker channel. But it was a British poker channel because in Canada, you have a British influence. Sure. And they would play all the uh, British high-stakes poker games. And uh-huh. remember when they had the camera underneath the glass? Yeah, late-night uh, poker. Devilfish. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Devilfish was playing in like a basement somewhere, like <laughs> with like hundreds of thousands of dollars and like all of the old school, like wow. high stakes Brits. A Tony G was on so many of the shows. Yeah. And so I basically watched poker freaking anytime I was home. That's all I did was just watch poker. And then I was dating the guy I dated in my 20s would go and play poker. And I'm like, well, frick, he can if he can play it, I can play it. And so I basically learned from watching it and I watched it like religiously and high stakes. They played high stakes poker and they played poker after dark, uh, at midnight. And I used to watch poker after dark when it was a sit and go. Mm -hmm. And I remember they had ladies week on poker after dark. I'm like, I could do this incredible. Now incredible that I like hosted poker after dark for some seasons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
I that's all I watched was poker, and that kind of got me playing. Yeah, that's amazing. Had I well, not I bought that house, I would have never played. Right, exactly. It's a funny way the the life you know sort of twists and turns. And like you said, you know, oh, I could do that. I don't know if you meant uh, host the show. That's pretty damn amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, I said at the at the outset, you know, the the whole goal here was to get to know you a little bit better. And I certainly feel like I do. I hope everyone out there feels that they do too. Uh, thank you, everyone who sent in questions for Veronica Brill. Again, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Uh, Veronica, it has been absolutely delightful. Thank you for your time. Uh, before we let you go, is Thank there you, anything Robbie, I else? Appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the Cards Chat audience? No, I just uh, I appreciate that people sent in their questions. Um, I'm humbled, uh, you know, by like humbled in a way. Like I don't feel like I am really anyone in the community. So I'm like, it's sweet to it's sweet to like be reminded of you know, some of the stuff I've done because I just think it's just a normal thing. Like, why wouldn't you out a cheater? Everyone does that. So I really appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for having me and thanks for your time. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, thanks again, uh, everyone, for tuning into another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.